if it smells like shit, you are in the right place. You are listening to the Podwackers, hosted by David and Craig. Enjoy. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, it's David here with my buddy Craig, connoisseur of all toilet paper. That's right. My, that's funny you say funny you say that my nine-year-old daughter told me the funniest joke yesterday and i hadn't I, I probably have heard it in the past but i didn't remember it she wanted she said so why did the toilet paper cross the road why is that because it was stuck in a crack <laughs> <laughs> that was literally the lamest joke i've ever heard but it was pretty funny <laughs> <laughs> For a nine-year-old, that's pretty good, though. That is good. I don't know. I laugh at pretty much any fart or poop humor. <laughs> I do, too. I can't help it. That's my son. He's two, and so he now takes his... Uh, he's, like, obsessed with Toy Story right now, so he's he carries around Buzz and Woody everywhere around the house. Yeah. And uh, yesterday, he was standing on the couch, and he just keeps going... <laughs> and I look at him, and I'm like, what are you doing? And he goes, Woody's farting. Just all on his own. I I didn't teach him that. So it must be genetic, I guess. That's good though. Oh yeah. Started man. a young age. Oh yeah, yeah. We uh we start him young around here, man. That's how we roll. <laughs> oh, not much else better to do in Northeast Ohio. So you got to find ways to self-entertain. Yeah. That's true. You have like four to six months of complete shit weather, so you end up uh, getting bored and laughing at your farts and and stinking stinking the house up and making your spouse angry at you. Yeah. Speaking of shit weather, it's April 28th, nearly May, and there's a possibility of snow tonight, and that especially pisses me off since I had a weekend planned of uh, yard work and outside cleanups. So. <laughs> I'm not real happy about that. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, last week we were talking, I, I did get outside. We had like really good weather for most of the week. So I did get outside and I got most of my weeds done and mowed my grass twice now, which, I mean, that's that's impressive if you know me. I do not like to mow the grass, so I almost never do it. So my neighbors usually mow at like a two or three to one ratio by the time I get out there and, and hit the yard. Uh <sighs> Lovely weather. I haven't mowed my yard at all yet. I haven't even picked up the dog shit. So I was contemplating getting the yard roller out and flattening that shit out and getting ready to mow. But, hey, it's supposed to snow, so I doubt that's going to happen. Making some of those uh, turd pancakes in your yard? That's right. Yeah, I, uh, I actually didn't didn't get mine. I just mowed over it. <laughs> My dog's also about three pounds, so the turds aren't that big. Actually, I don't even think they get mowed up. They just kind of sink into the ground and actually fertilize it. Yeah, I have completely the opposite problem. My dog takes three-pound shit. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, not a fan, not a fan. So anyhow, uh been uh, watching the NFL draft. Over the last couple of days, and I mean, all I can say is, wow. what the hell? So let's just get this one out of the way. I'm gonna play the uh, 
the Cleveland Browns first selection in the NFL draft. If you've been living under a rock, here you go. With the first pick in the 2018 NFL draft, the Cleveland Browns select Baker Mayfield. Wow. It is Baker Mayfield. So you can hear Rich Eisen there. Wow. He's lost his mind. He has no idea why the Browns did that. And no one else does either. Yeah. That that first pick, um, you know, we we talked a couple weeks ago about where we thought Cleveland should pick or who they should pick. And, yeah, they, as every year, they surprised the hell out of me. I'm sure they did a bunch of other people too. So I, I, I look at all the stats for Baker Mayfield being number one. And I mean, there's some justification there for him to go number one, especially in the quarterback position, because he legitimately did put up, you know, better numbers than, than most of the other guys in the draft. But <clears throat> You know, it's back to another guy that has off-field antic problems. So, you know, what's that gonna what's that gonna manifest? Who knows? <laughs> yeah, well, like a lot of people compare him to Johnny Manziel because of the size and similar attitude. I would say, which I think it's pretty fair to do that comparison, even though some people are saying. Well, you know, Brown's apologists are saying you can't make that comparison, blah, 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 blah. I really think you can make that comparison. It's actually one of the best comparisons that you probably could make. The difference being that hopefully Baker Mayfield isn't into just doing cocaine and partying with Josh Gordon all weekend and then showing up to practice, uh, you know, two hours late and barely making it back to, to Berea on a Sunday morning for a game day. So, um, you know, I'm, I, I don't necessarily know that that Baker can't be a good quarterback for this team. But I just, the amount of times the Cleveland Browns have drafted a quarterback that is like six foot tall in, in AFC North with Mm -hmm. this kind of weather and they're from Texas or some other warm state. I I just, it, it kind of baffles me because you need a big, big Ben type quarterback or a Joe Flacco, or an Andy Dalton. All those guys are big, tall, strong dudes. They don't get hurt very often. Um, well, Big Ben gets hurt, but he plays through it. Um, right. But you know, like you need a guy like that who can um, who can survive in the AFC North. And for some reason, we keep drafting these midgets. <laughs> I don't understand it. No, you're absolutely right. Um, um, I, I I think. I, did, I didn't get into any of the mock draft stuff. We, we just kind of talked about it the first first recording that we did. And, yeah, I, I'm I'm not the kind of person that likes to say I told you so, but um, if Buffalo is contending for a Super Bowl here in the next two years, I'm going to say I told you so. <laughs> because <laughs> well, they, I, they I picked think, smart. They did. They yeah, picked smart. they picked smart, and I think they did. They picked the way I would have picked. I, I I think the Browns redeemed themselves in round two a little bit. I, I'm on the fence with this Nick Chubb guy running back. Um, he did great things in Georgia. Kind of, I, I, there wasn't a, much of a focus on running backs this draft. It didn't seem like other than Barkley, who was just off the charts good. But 
Yeah, and I don't necessarily think you pick a running back that high unless you're a team like New England or something. You know, like a team that's perennially great. Like, yeah. running backs are so hard to pick because they can be amazing. But there's a lot – this is the thing about football that people kind of forget is that there are 11 dudes on the field on both sides of the ball at a time. Mm-hmm. So – the quarterback's obviously the most important because a he's calling the plays and he's making the audibles and adjustments and doing all those things. So he needs to be very football savvy and intelligent and understand the game probably at a deeper level than anybody else. But at the same time, you know, all the other guys have to do their job and and that's kind of the Patriots motto, right? Do your job. And so, right. you know, it comes down to the line. Like is it, if, if the line's playing like crap, good luck running the ball good luck passing the ball. You know, and mm-hmm. so, you know, people tend to forget that and they put it all on one or two players. And it's like, well, the running back is only as good as the line can block, except for if you're Barry Sanders. Right. <laughs> and no one is Barry. <laughs> so, you know, like you just, I feel like running backs got devalued for the passing game, rightfully so, just based on the new way that the rules are. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you need a great quarterback, but the running back can be okay. So you don't need to reach for a running back. You know, you're better off to actually pick up a solid lineman or um, if there happens to be like a stud receiver out there that you can get, um, you might want to go that way even. But again, like the receivers, there's usually a ton of receivers. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't know. I'm more of a fan of building up, first of all, get your quarterback and then build up, you know, your lines on both sides of the ball before you start going crazy and, and maybe even a corner or safety. If there's a, an, ex, you know, a, a projected, you know, just all out talent sitting out there early on. Right. Cause those lockdown corners, especially with the rules, how they are now, those guys are so valuable. Right. Yeah. And speaking of valuable, what did you think about the number four pick that, that I think that deserves the wow more than Baker Mayfield, <laughs> honestly. Wow. Yeah. With the board. Yeah, that pick just blew my mind. I just couldn't believe that they picked him. So everyone had a chubby for Chubb sitting out there, and the Browns just didn't get him for whatever reason. So, you know. I I think the only thinking that move was they got Miles Garrett last year at one. If he can stay healthy and produce, I mean, they're definitely strong on his side. And but they were they were lacking where they picked up Ward, so I don't know if they were. I mean, they're they're replacing Joe Hayden, right? He he went to Pittsburgh, and they really didn't have anybody to backfill at that spot. So yeah, they're they're they showed their ranking last year, and their defense ranked 14th overall. Mm-hmm. And the main reason they were so bad was just because the 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 uh, defensive backfield wasn't that great. And so, um, so they do need to bolster that position. I don't know a ton. I'm not like a draft analysis guy. I follow this stuff pretty loosely, but I was shocked just based on all the buzz about like the top five or 10 guys, like, uh, you know, Ward's name wasn't mentioned once, (laughs) you know, no, like not that I remember. And, I know that some of that's because they talk a lot about like need for the teams that are drafting in those positions. But at the same time, you know, like you, I'm kind of glad the Browns did this in a way because I don't think Ward is going to suck. 
I don't know if he'll be great. I don't know if he'll be number four pick talent, but Mm -hmm. they drafted a position of need rather than best available. So they got probably what they deemed the best available at the highest position of need, which is what they need to do. Um, They get caught up a lot of times in drafting some weirdo players that just don't, they don't need. Um, So I was kind of glad to see that they did that because if they can bolster their defensive backfield, they have a decent defense. It's good enough to get them competitive. You know, like they're not going to turn around and win eight or nine games this year. I would be mm-hmm. in shock if they do. Uh, but yeah. they'll probably win. I I could see them winning four to five, which is yeah. better than zero. So, <laughs> so yeah. Hey, that's that's three to four times more than the last two seasons. Oh, I know, man. It's been <laughs> miserable around here. You know, yeah. you give us the shit weather during winter, and then the Browns to watch. Ugh. Yeah, and no joke. Um, I'm probably the most interesting pick for me to see how it's going to play out. I mean, there's always the hype around the first round. Um, with Joe Thomas retiring, they came in the first pick in the second round and got uh, another tackle, which I have no, I, I know nothing about the guy. I'm just looking at one of the, the draft orders, and it's a guy named Austin Corbett out of Nevada. Yep. I have no idea. But I, I think they drafted it. They they took the best, one of the better tackles at that at that pick, just because they have to. They have a huge gap to fill there. So hopefully that guy pans out for them. Yeah, yeah. So I just was on um, ESPN's website looking at their their grading. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of funny because they graded Baker Mayfield as fourth overall at his position <laughs> we took him number one <laughs> well who, who was the fourth quarterback picked we that well, was josh rosen uh yeah i think rosen went yeah fourth um so you had baker that went at one mm-hmm. saquon barkley went at two uh the jets took darnold who i was hoping the browns would pick even though he looks like such a douche at three um mm-hmm. And then another QB didn't go till seven, so that was the third quarterback. Josh Allen went to Buffalo, and then Rosen went to Arizona at ten. And I love that kid, man. He, he said they made nine other mistakes ahead of me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that it. comment was awesome. I mean, that's just to get everybody fired up. I <laughs> I love that, but I think Baker brings that same fire to to the Browns. Um, he's got an attitude just like that, so. Uh, I don't know. I, I thought that was pretty funny, though. <clears throat> yeah. And then the other, the last quarterback, I think, that went in the first round was Lamar Jackson, who went to Baltimore, which... Didn't they trade up It's kind him? of a weird move. Yeah, they did, actually. Well, it's pretty interesting, because I believe Baltimore signed RG3, right? As a backup? Yes. Yeah, so you got Flacco, RG3, and Lamar Jackson. And so he's got a pretty good uh, quarterback room there to, to learn from because while RG three wasn't lighting it up anymore, cause he's too fragile, mm-hmm. you know, he's kind of that explosive running elusive quarterback and he had a couple great seasons. Um, I don't think like, I wouldn't say RG three like sucks just emphatically say that. I think he's okay. And he's, a, he's probably a system guy, meaning he under certain, uh, you know, certain offensive schemes, he'll thrive and others he won't. Um, but then I also think he was relying on his athleticism too much and didn't translate that over into pocket passing. And so mm-hmm. then you got Flacco for that. And so Lamar could turn out to be 
a really amazing quarterback if he if he's taught well. But I don't know how much Flacco's going to try and mentor him, knowing that his contract is movable next season. Yeah, I, I don't. All the speculation is that he's not going to be in Baltimore next year. So I mean, I don't know what his motivation will be. He Flacco's an interesting guy because he's. I, I mean, not that I purposely go out and watch a lot of Baltimore games, but mm-hmm. he, he doesn't seem to show a whole lot of emotion on the field. No, he doesn't. <laughs> He's, He's kind of numb. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He doesn't seem like a great leader. Like, he never struck me like uh, like a Tom Brady, where Brady's out there. He's fired up. He's yelling at teammates. He's getting in people's faces. Yeah. Flacco's like the polar opposite of that uh, yeah. When I from what I've witnessed. You know, I, I'm not a Baltimore expert either. Um, but being in the division, you see him a fair amount. So, yeah, it was it was definitely a, an interesting first round. Um, I didn't really pay too much attention to the second round. I kind of just checked on my phone here and there. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I don't know. Was there anything out of the second round that was worth talking about? I, I didn't really pay too much attention there. Yeah, I don't think we'll see much to talk about until we see how, like I said, how that tackle from Nevada pans out. Um, he's got huge shoes to fill, <laughs> to say the least. I, I, the craziest stat I heard yesterday was, you know, with I, I think Joe Thomas was on Dan Patrick, and their one stat guy was looking it up, and it, they said that over 11-year career, Thomas was res- solely responsible for 30 sacks. Over eleven seasons. Yeah, it was. It's amazing how many how many times he stopped people from from getting the quarterback. <laughs> and they also have a. I was listening to his show the one day, and they were also talking through. Um, they were talking about how they kind of pad those stats a little bit in a way mm-hmm. because, like, once the quarterback starts scrambling, then you're not really responsible or so, something like that. Like, you know, there's some way of them saying, okay, the quarterback has left the pocket. Now now if he gets sacked by your guy, it doesn't really count as you giving up a sack because he took off. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's he's an active runner at that point. But, I mean, yeah. I, I think it's that, – that is a padded stat. That's kind of weird because it, even, even if you're behind the line of scrimmage, it's still a sack. sack yeah, well, that's the thing. The guy gets credit for a sack, but you don't get charged for giving one up if the guy starts scrambling. Yeah. But I'm, I'm, it makes some sense in a way because it's kind of like blaming other linemen for screwing up. Yeah, you know? I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I'm pretty sure if you ask, um, oh, James Harrison, if that sack on Colt McCoy on the sideline was a sack, I'm pretty sure he's going to tell you the one where he almost ripped his head off. <laughs> 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 um, one of the more memorable scrambles from a Browns quarterback. <laughs> oh, man. Dude, James Harrison, that guy, he's something else. I actually. Um, huh? He's from the area. Did you know that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's a, a Kent State alumni. Yeah, and so uh, I I worked at a subway um, in Akron, and it's not like downtown Akron. More like I don't know. Akron's like this huge loose term for a wide area, so mm-hmm. it's technically Akron, but more like Portage Lakes. And uh, right. so I was I was at work, and I I was running some of the deposits to the bank, and I was on my way back to Subway, and I was in a turn lane. And I hear this, my car just like starts rattling and I'm like, what the fuck is going on? And I look out my window and there's this huge Hummer next to me and, uh, the system is just pounding and it's shaking my <laughs> whole car. And I look over, it's fucking James Harrison. Mm-hmm. 
he was just at the grocery store right next door to the subway that I worked at. And yeah. he had just left. And when I went back to work, everyone was like, oh, did you see James Harrison? And I'm like, yeah, I saw him. That's a bad <laughs> dude. That is a bad dude. Yeah, very, very bad. I don't think I've ever ran into anybody of that, the NFL caliber like yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, so like I saw him in his car. I suspect I've been near LeBron in his car because there was a, I mean, I don't know for sure, but I was near his house and there was a uh, Ferrari driving around and it was a very, very, very nice, expensive Ferrari. So it could have been somebody else, but I would assume it was him. Um, And I also, I ran into LeBron at uh, Akron U in the gym. Okay. So this was kind of interesting. So I, I was taking a couple of summer courses and I was going over to the Akron Rec Center to go work out. And so I, I'm walking, and the way the rec center is, it's kind of like you walk up this ramp, and the ramp takes you up, like it comes from the gr- like ground level, and it goes up to like the second story, and that's where you enter the building. So mm-hmm. below you is when you walk in, you can you walk down this like narrow hallway, and it's like a really wide open facility. And so really the, the, the top is just for you to check in and there's like a little lounge area. And I think they have like a smoothie bar at the time. And, and then you walk down the hallway and then you actually have to like scan in and then you go down the stairs. And then once you're downstairs, you're, there's the basketball courts, there's a swimming pool and there's the gym where you can lift weights and all that stuff. So as I'm walking over this cross, you know, this, this walkway, I look over, you know, I'm just like looking down seeing what's going on, seeing how busy it is. And I, I look in the gym and I see this like super tall dude shooting hoops. And I'm like, that looks like LeBron. Like, no way. That's not LeBron. You know, I, but man, that really looks like LeBron. Like as I'm getting closer, <laughs> I'm like, that, that really looks like him. And then I get close enough and there's a sign. There's a LeBron James basketball camp happening that day. And he was there early practicing. And so he's down there shooting hoops. And I just walked up to the glass and stood, you know, probably five feet away from him, watched him practice for a few minutes. And it was just incredible. I mean, this this dude is massive. I mean, I'm short. I'm only like five, seven and he's like, what, six, eight. So he's like a whole foot taller than me. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm sitting next to him and he's just like this massive ominous presence. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, I actually lied a little bit. Our, Our, uh, previous employer, they had that meet and greet that one time and Brad Doherty was there. So I have met, some uh, Cavaliers fame in person took a picture with him, and that dude is even taller than LeBron. So yeah, I got a picture with him too, and I look like I'm a little baby. Like he could carry me around. <laughs> put yeah, me, you're... put me in one of those baby slings and strap me on his chest and start walking around. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I, I think when he was standing next to me for the picture, he he put his hand on my shoulder, but I don't think his elbow was bent. <laughs> I'm like, holy cow! Oh, guy was a beast. Oh, dude. It's incredible. Like when you think about some of these humans on the on the planet that could just break you in half, and there's nothing right. you could do about it. But they don't. You know, no. it's just like like that guy could literally just break you in half if he wanted to. Mm-hmm. Like Shaq could just rip your head from your torso and walk away, and there's right. nothing you could do about it. <laughs> <laughs> predator style <laughs> yeah exactly and they just take your arms off and beat you with them and there's nothing you could do about it i mean it's just incredible right yeah yeah the only the only other famous person i ran into that i probably wouldn't have minded having my ass kicked by was rick flair so 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, uh, I don't... I never met any famous wrestlers. I, I haven't really met a ton of famous people, but there are maybe probably less than five, and I can only think of maybe two off the top of my head that I actually really would want to meet. One of them is Mike Judge, my idol, mm-hmm. and uh, Dave Grohl. So those are my two celebrities that would actually interest me the most out of anybody on the planet. Yeah, that would I would definitely like to meet both of those guys. Maybe, hopefully, someday we'll uh, be able to interview them in person. That would be awesome. Yeah, that would be great. Make it our mission to uh, to interview Dave. He'll be in town in July. Yeah, can't wait. Yeah, I, I mean, I've seen him so many freaking times. We flew the one when they came out with Wasting Light. I think I saw them three or four times on that same tour. Um, once in Cleveland, once in Pittsburgh, and then uh, a buddy of mine. He bought us tickets to go to Deluna Fest in Florida, and they were headlining, and so was Pearl Jam. Like the next day, oh um, man, it was, and it was on the beach in Pensacola. So you were literally <laughs> standing in the sand watching a, a rock show. It was, it was fucking incredible. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. I've never had. I've been to lots of festivals, but nothing like that. That was really the only. I think the only festival I went to, and we actually didn't really spend a whole lot of time at the at the venue because it was really far from where we stayed at our hotel. And, uh, you know, so we didn't want to, like, take a bunch of stuff down to the beach and just, like, leave it there because it was just the two of us. So there wasn't right. really anyone to watch your stuff if you left left it there. And with all the people there for the concert, I didn't really trust it. So we we just kind of walked around Pensacola for a while and then went down, like, when the headliners were getting ready to go on. We watched – I think we watched um, both opening acts for the headliners – um, and then we watched, you know, Pearl Jam the one night and then we watched the Foo Fighters the next night and then left. Oh, that would have been fantastic. Oh, it was pretty awesome. We were really close to, um, it was standing room only. We got as close as you could get without being in this like roped off VIP section. Mm-hmm. So we were probably 15, 20 rows back. It was the closest I've ever it's, been. Yeah. Very few concerts I've been that close. I usually go to the ones at the the smaller venues tend to be the bands I like the most. So, you know, like house of blues kind of venues, um, right. Over the Cleveland Agora and those ones, for some reason I always get really lucky and get really close. So I saw Queens of the stone age play their first album front to back. And I was right in front of Josh Homme. I mean, right in front of him front row. It's awesome. It was awesome. And then, uh, I think shine down. I got really close to front row. Uh, they played at House of Blues one time, and I got really close to the front row there. It was pretty good. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, nothing beats a live show, man. It's so no. fun. So fun. No, House of Blues and the Agora are definitely probably two of the best venues to see a show, in my opinion. I agree, because they're so small. Like, you, you, there's not a bad seat, and if you want to work your way to the front, you can. Mm-hmm. And it's just a good time. I yeah. love it. Yeah, probably the best show I saw was at the... Uh, well, I've seen some really good shows at the House of Blues, but I saw the first tour for Perfect Circle at the Agora, and that was outstanding. Oh, yeah, dude. They just, out, out of the gate, that they were really good. They so. are really good. I like them a lot. Um, I, I'm kind of over-listening to them, you know, as part of my daily set list or anything like that, but I would definitely go see a show with them. I, I was listening to their new album the other day, and it just it was a little pretentious, but surprise, mm-hmm. that's Maynard. Yeah. <clears throat> Nope, I'll 
we'll be, uh, well, I'll be seeing Foo Fighters with you in July, and then um, actually here in a couple of weeks we'll be seeing Perfect Circle and Tool, and we're headed down to Rock on the Range in Columbus. So oh, that's going to be, be awesome. three, three days of pretty good bands. Yeah, they have a pretty good lineup. I think there's um, a band from Akron Canton area called Red Sun Rising. I'm looking forward oh, to seeing yep. them for the first time live. I actually I saw them at uh, I think it was the Tangier <laughs> mm-hmm. in Akron, like the most random place. But I did see them. They're really good. Um, they're slightly effeminate. I felt like on stage, mm-hmm. uh, they all look like they've been doing a lot of cocaine and are a rail thin and wear tight leather and. I don't know. It was a little queer for my liking, but I don't know. It's kind of throwing back to that eighties metal a little bit, but not quite. I don't know. Their, their music was good though. Yeah. I've listened to some of their stuff. I just haven't seen them live yet. And I thought it was cool that they're, they're starting to pick up some steam, get the popularity starting to grow. And with them being a local, a local act, it's definitely cool. So, well, you know, it'd be nice if we could get some, good rock bands back on the forefront of things because music's kind of boring right now. Right. Basically, I just sit here and wait for Queens of the Stone Age or the Foo Fighters to unload a new album. Um, there's another band, though, that I really love, Highly Suspect. They're they're pretty new. They've got two albums out. Mm-hmm. They rock. They are fucking awesome. Um, their first album is like really just like grungy and dirty rock. And it's mm-hmm. just amazing. And then their second album's I think a little bit more experimental, but it's still really good. But there's a handful of tracks on it that I you know I can skip over. But for the most part, it's still a really good album. Like they their second one, I feel like they get a little more experimental. They do a lot more. Um, I don't know. Like they have a couple more ballady tracks that you know they're just a little bit more poppy. They've got one that sounds just like a Queens of the Stone Age song, and it's it's really good. Um, I don't know. I love that band. They're playing at the Agora actually like two days after the Foo Fighters show. And I'm really tempted to go, but I need to recruit somebody. <clears throat> <laughs> I've heard good things. I may go. I haven't, haven't made my mind up yet. Yeah. And tickets are way cheaper to go see them than they are the Foo Fighters. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I was, uh, I've been reading the news and I came across this, this case for the golden state killer slash mm-hmm. Eurons, which is East area rapist slash original night stalker. How many different names can this man have? Um, so it was kind of interesting. I found a podcast, uh, probably six, eight months ago and it's, uh, a true crime podcast. And I kind of like the stuff. I find it fascinating. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm not like one of these people that's like super into like murderers and stuff, but like the story is kind of fascinating and and how people get to this point and all that stuff. And that's kind of what this podcast does is they break down various cases and kind of go through them. And the guy's from Australia who runs it. And at first it's kind of weird as an American listening to an Australian tell you these stories just with the accent, but then you get so into it that like, this is the only way I can listen to these things. Anyhow, this guy did a five-part series on on the Golden State Killer, and I listened to it probably six months ago. Mm-hmm. It's incredible, so I recommend I recommend anyone check this out. It's just fat. This this particular case is super fascinating. So, essentially, what it is is 
Um, this guy went around and he was, he, he started in the seventies. So like 1976 or so, um, they, they started noticing in California, I believe it's in Visalia. Um, mm-hmm. this guy started ransacking a bunch of homes and he was just like going and just like tear them apart and not really take anything of value. And they thought it was kind of bizarre. And then suddenly it escalated into, um, into rape. So, um, it started out, you know, every once in a while, this guy would, he would just break into a house, rape the woman that was there, almost like he knew she was by herself. Um, he would like pre case the house in some cases mm-hmm. where he would go in and he would, he would pry open a door. He'd be inside. He would know who this person was. He would know, uh, where their spouse was or their boyfriend. And when they weren't home and he would just watch the house. And then all of a sudden he'd like within five or 10 minutes of the person leaving, like he would, he would want monitor their habits. And as soon as the person was gone, he would, he'd be in the door, you know, five minutes later, he'd be in through a window or a door or something. And he would, um, he would tie these women up using a really specific type of knot. And then he would, he would rape them and ransack their house and not really take anything. And just, he was really bizarre. And like he would, a lot of times he would come in the house with no pants on, like he just didn't have pants and he'd have a <laughs> ski mask on and no pants and come in and just like torment these women. And then it just kept escalating for like over a 10 year period. So it was like from 76 to 86. And, and it's, and so he would, you could tell he was watching the news because the news was really hesitant. The cops were hesitant to release the news about this guy for a while because they didn't want people freaking out. And so they were leaving out, you know, these hallmarks of this guy. And so what he was doing is he would like case a house for like a long period of time. He would know all the ins and outs of the house. He was probably practicing how to escape. And then he would, um, he would come in with knots prepared or leave them at the house and also know if there were any like, you know, weapons he could take on property or he'd bring his own. Um, he would sometimes leave by bicycle or car. Um, so he, he had like all these ins and outs and he was listening to the news. And so, uh, he would, he would also stalk the people and, and call them and like do prank phone calls where he would mm-hmm. just like breathe into the phone real heavily, um, and just do really weird things. And he would just do this for like weeks and weeks and weeks. And then all of a sudden he would just show up and rape this woman that he'd been to, like just stalking essentially. And, yeah. um, and so the cops weren't really releasing a lot of these details for a while. So like women would be getting these prank phone calls for like weeks and not think anything of it. And, you know, back in the seventies, you didn't even lock your front door, you know, whatever. Right. And, uh, so this dude, he, <clears throat> he's going through this and the news starts breaking. They start finally releasing some details about him. Well, he doesn't like that these details are coming out. So one of the details was he will not break into your house while your husband or boyfriend is home. He seems to only attack single women when they're by themselves. And so he, he hears this and he escalates. And so then he starts coming in with the husband present and what he does is he makes the the woman tie up the husband and then he he ties up the woman and then he goes in he he separates them so they can't untie each other and then he would go and get dishes out of the kitchen and put a saucer plate and a teacup on the back of the man and tell him if i hear this fall i'm going to come in here and kill you holy cow and so he and then he would go rape the woman and ransack the house and do like that whole thing again and then it escalates again. And then he starts killing people. 
And it's actually believed that he killed one person before he really started getting crazy about it. Um, when he got caught in a yard casing a house and a guy started chasing him off, he shot the guy and ran away. And, uh, and so there, there, it goes on and on and on. I mean, this guy, they think he killed at least 12 or 13 people. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had raped, I, I want to say it was, you know, in the 50s, uh, 45 victims were raped um, all the way up till 1986. And then there were like over 120 ransackings. And it was all over California. Like it started in the Sacramento area and then kind of the San Francisco area and then down towards the Los Angeles area. Mm. And so this guy had been, I mean, just going on a terror forever. And, and, and towards the end, it just started getting super violent. Like he started just killing people. He would rape them and kill them in their sleep. Um, you know, it, it was just, it is a very fascinating case. Um, so I recommend listening to this podcast series because it's just, you start listening and you just start wondering to yourself, like, how could somebody do this? Like this guy was just yeah. so brutal and he just asked, and it's weird to watch him escalate over time. Um, so anyhow, after all that backstory, um, it turns out that he was, he was arrested. Um, he's 70, 72 years old. Um, his name is James, uh, D'Angelo. And he was arrested living in one of the neighborhoods that he was tormenting. Right. So it's not like he took off and went far away. Um, and th- the way they caught him is really, really interesting. So over the years, obviously, they had tons of suspects, and they never nailed him down. He was never on the list. They never had him. Um, he was a former police officer. Mm-hmm. And so they think that that's probably how he kind of knew. He always seemed to kind of know where the cops were, it seemed like. So when he would strike a neighborhood, they were never there or you know, not patrolling because eventually they started stepping up their patrol, uh, to be, you know, all over these neighborhoods and everything and started watching and then being more vigilant, but he was always in an area they were not. And so he was a former cop. Um, in 1979, he got, uh, arrested for shoplifting dog repellent and a hammer. And instead of fighting it or trying to stay on the force, he just quietly went away. So obviously that he didn't want them looking into him. Um, right. And so he would leave DNA evidence everywhere, but they still couldn't figure it out. And then eventually the cops took his DNA and uploaded it to a open source genealogy database website. And then they got a hit on, um, on a relative. And so they started tracking the family tree until Mm -hmm. they came to him. And then once they decided that they think he was the guy, they followed him around and they grabbed a, um, a cup, I believe a cup or a straw that he had used and thrown out in public, which is mm-hmm. fair use for the cops. And then they tested it. It was a 100% match. So then they scoped out his house and then they, they took him down and arrested him. And that's pretty much all I think we know right now. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, it was just incredible. I, I don't know. I was like I said, I, I'd listened to this podcast, so it got me kind of interested. And then when I saw he got captured, I was just even more fascinated by this guy and how he <laughs> evaded police and basically lived a normal life for 72 yeah. years while he tortured so many people and killed dozens of people. Yeah. It, I mean, it's horrifying to think about this and, and yet interesting. Like you said, how can, how can someone live basically right under their noses for all those years and not get caught? I mean, he obviously being that he was in law enforcement, he had 
internal knowledge of like how to skirt around some of that stuff. But the, the crazy thing to me with the backstory is, you know, his, his aggression escalated with, it sounded like each incident. So it kept getting worse and worse and worse to where it was just, you know, break in, you know, rape, kill. That was his protocol. And I mean, being over 30 years ago, obviously they don't have a good means of, they were collecting DNA, but they really didn't know what to do with it. Thankfully they were, you know, keeping that evidence from all those cases. But what, what I don't understand is a guy like that, usually you self implode. You hear these cases where these guys keep getting worse and worse and worse. And they usually get caught in the act. How did he turn that off? Because he obviously was getting some kind of high or, you know, there was, I mean, there's definitely something messed up in his head to where he thinks that that's an okay thing to do. <laughs> you know, maybe oh, he yeah. doesn't think it's an okay thing to do. He knows it's wrong, but something within, you know, his internal mojo tells him that he's got to keep doing it because he enjoys it. Yeah. And how does he just turn that off and, you know, just go completely off the radar for over 30 years? That's what I wonder. Like, you know, after he was done, like, did he really stop in 1986 or is there other stuff they just haven't connected to him yet? Um, you know, it, it was fascinating because, you know, this guy just, like you said, he just kind of goes off the radar for the last, you know, 30 years. <laughs> He's like just gone. Like, where did he go? What did he, like, he, he had this like 10 year period of tormenting people and then he just stopped. And usually right. these guys just keep going and going and going until they get caught or get killed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they get killed in the act, or you know they get caught red-handed, so to speak. I, it's 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 crazy to me. And then, you know, I, I think I had heard about the case over the years. I I never really studied into it or whatever. You know, obviously I was reading the articles when the guy got arrested and 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 learning about it. But then when you see his mugshot, it's like some old dude you'd see at church. <laughs> it's like what? It, it's just crazy. Well, Some I think he was compensating was because uh, all accounts say he had a tiny pecker. Yeah. <laughs> so I think he was raging over that. Maybe he Jesus. finally came to acceptance. <laughs> that's an that's an interesting uh, analysis, but <laughs> there would be a shitload of serial killers in this world if it was all, all relying on the small penis. <laughs> I mean, I, I think some people that uh, go out there and openly say, "Hey, yeah, I'm, I, I'm hung like a light switch." Like Howard Stern, for instance, he'd be the biggest serial killer of all because <laughs> he, he's been preaching the fact that he has a small dick for <laughs> the better part of thirty years. So, yeah, I don't know how much of that is just him being self-deprecating for radio purposes, but this guy legitimately had a tiny pecker and he was raping people. So I'm assuming that he was having a hard time getting laid. Right. <laughs> That's an interesting, yeah. And he was just taking what he wanted at that point, and he got satisfaction out of it somehow, even as sick as it sounds. Yeah. In all seriousness, though, I think he, um, I think it all started with a a broken off relationship with a woman. He was reported as have to. He would talk to himself during a lot of the ransackings and stuff. Like people thought at first they were reporting there were multiple people in the house, but it was just him. Mm-hmm. And so. Uh, he would talk to himself a lot, and um, during one event, at least uh, that I recall, and I could be getting this a little bit wrong, but it was um, he w- he was 
mumbling to himself about Bonnie and like, mm-hmm. like I, like, and Bonnie was his, uh, a former, uh, relationship of his, um, later we, f- we found that out now, but at the time yeah. when that was reported, I, I don't think he did it a lot, but there were one, a couple instances where he would talk about Bonnie. And so, um, you know, they had broken off a relationship and I, I think it was right around the time that he started or got really crazy. So it could have been something like that, that, that set him off. Um, he was also a Vietnam vet and I, I don't know if he ever saw combat action or anything like that. So I don't know if he had like PTSD, no one's really floating that around. So I'm assuming that that's not the case. Um, but you know, he was just a bizarre individual, obviously to do that. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Speaking of, uh, of bizarre individuals though, uh, we have this, uh, Kanye West and, and Trump love affair going on. (laughs) So tell us about this. You sent this over to me. Tell me about it. Yeah. So, I mean, this whole thing just blew up over this week and, um, I mean, it's, it's common knowledge that those two have been buddy, buddy, you know, even back before the election, you know, Kanye was always hanging out at Trump tower and, you know, he was, he was pushing for Trump, um, during the election and whatnot. And to me, I mean, I, I just saw the headlines, briefly skimmed a couple of the articles. He's saying that him and Trump have dragon energy. They're brothers. I, I, I don't get it because, you know, Kanye, typically you have these entertainers or, you know, actors, and I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say probably 90% of the time, maybe not that much, but a majority of the time, you know, they're leaning left mm-hmm. and, you know, they're, they're, obviously more liberal you know dude i don't know if it's just due to the industry that they're in that that kind of fosters their beliefs or whatnot but kanye i uh, go back to hurricane katrina and the fallout over that that red cross telethon thing that he had where he basically you know spouted off he's standing there with mike myers during a live broadcast and basically says you know george bush does not like black people <laughs> right on the air and they cut immediately and you know, to me, that's like, you know, I, I would expect something like that from someone in the entertainment business, you know, especially directed at, at a conservative president at the time, mm-hmm. you know, and with the state of affairs at that time and everything that was going on, you know, that was probably an emotional response. But then you turn around, what is it, 10, 12 years later, and he's on the Trump wagon and <laughs> doing this and that. And I, I don't know. Maybe they are good buddies. I don't know. You know, maybe they're out grabbing pussies together. Who knows? <laughs> Sounds like it. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I just, I don't get it. You know, I, I saw reports where he mysteriously lost 10 million Twitter followers within the week. Huh. And then there's this, this hubbub where, you know, you know, it's probably a system admins at Twitter, you know, like <laughs> deleting his people that are following him because of what he's saying about Trump because of their distaste for Trump. It, it's, it, it's a huge clusterfuck. I don't know what to make of it. Honestly, it's interesting. Um, <clears throat> I'll say this. I, Kanye is a really weird dude. Um, but I got a buddy who's obsessed with Kanye and he has a Kanye podcast. I believe it's called mm-hmm. watching the throne, a lyrical analysis of Kanye West for anyone who wants to check that out. If you're really into Kanye, it's a great podcast. If you're not really into Kanye, you won't really like it. But the guys mm-hmm. do a great job. Um, anyhow, 
so I was listening to a few episodes, um, and you know, they, they like Kanye a lot. And so they have a lot of interesting takes on him and, you know, you get this media take on him where everyone's really negative about him because he's kind of bizarre, but then Mm -hmm. you listen to these guys talk about him and you kind of start to understand and unravel a little bit about the man and start to understand that he's not as crazy as people, people are making him seem like through the media, you only get these half stories. Right. And you're not getting really like, you know, you don't really think about it, I guess, as kind of thing. At least I don't. I was guilty of this. So I would hear these things and think to myself, Kanye is just like a fucking maniac. Like, this guy is just on one. But right. not really actually sitting there and analyzing what he's saying and what he means by what he's saying. And he's kind of profound in a way. And so that's the one thing about listening to that show that I really liked is I started to learn a lot about him as a person more so than what the media is kind of putting out there. And that's true of everything. It's really easy to go to the default lazy American way of just listening to whatever the news is saying and then just take that as gospel and moving on. And so, you know, with Kanye, you know, he said he wanted to be like the next Steve Jobs because Steve Jobs is gone. Somebody needs to fill that void. Mm -hmm. And, and that's really like, that's an interesting thought. And it's really profound because I don't think he's like demeaning Steve Jobs by trying to compare himself But what he's saying is like he wants there to be more innovation and people not really caring about the perceptions of things. And rather, he wants to create things and put them out there and and make revolutions out of things that he does, Um, Mm -hmm. like his take on something and just putting it out there as art and not caring about if it made a a million dollars or if he sold out his tour or however it is presented, you know, and whatever idea he comes up with, he's trying to just fill a void of creativity is essentially what he's saying because Steve Mm -hmm. Jobs was a creative genius. I mean, I don't think anybody would argue that while he was kind of a maniac of a person, he was a creative genius. He would give you what you wanted without asking you. You didn't even know you wanted it. Um, and so that was kind of the beauty of it. And I think Kanye is trying to do the same thing. He's trying to serve you in a way that you don't even know that you want it or need it until it happens. And then you can't live without it. And so, Mm -hmm. Um, what's interesting about him saying like kind of buddying up with Trump is that there's this huge perception that Trump is a racist, but is it all media? Mm -hmm. You know, is it, is it the news because you've got one side that hates him so much that they're trying to just like flood you with information about how bad he is. And see, this is the thing I think everyone's guilty of, right? So I'm not a huge Trump fan at all. I think the person is just, I think he, Trump as a person is kind of shitty. Um, Mm -hmm. that's just the opinion I have formed over time. And so I think that what people are guilty of is, you know, if you don't like him, you instantly listen to all the negative news about him and then just instantly assume that that's all fact and instantly assume that that's how he is rather than thinking about the agenda behind the news that's being presented to you. While yeah, it may be based in truths. It's also got an agenda to just blast you with so much of it that that's the only opinion that you have rather than stepping back and looking at the full picture and then looking at the other side and saying, okay, so you guys say all these bad things. Then this side says, here's some good things. And so the truth is always somewhere in the middle. I don't think he's as bad as he's presented in the media, but I also don't think he's a great person anyway, just based on, you know, just listening to him talk, not the news, just listen to Mm -hmm. the man himself. I formulated an opinion that he is not that great of a human. Um, and so it's, it is interesting that Kanye is kind of siding with him, but, um, at the same time, it's not to me because Kanye likes successful people and he can admire somebody who's successful um, in various ways and, and try and kind of hone that and, and, and bring that into himself, you know, and then use that as energy to be creative in another avenue. And so I think that's kind of where he 
sees Donald is maybe, you know, I don't think Donald is a, a 100% racist person per se. Um, mm -hmm. I just think he's insensitive. And I think that people are really quick to take any insensitivities and then cast them as racism. Um, right. Because I also don't think Donald is empathetic towards people in need. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that's also part of it is he's not very empathetic and he's just kind of, you know, on his high horse and pompous. And so you get these weird vibes from him that he's racist. I don't necessarily believe that that's the case. Um, and so I, I think Kanye, obviously he doesn't either. And, uh, and, and so he's not buying into like the Hollywood bullshit where everyone is just like completely liberal and like, no matter what they hate Donald. Um, so in that sense, I think that it's kind of interesting, um, but I'm not surprised by it. And I like that yeah. Kanye is willing to think outside the box and not be, you know, pushed into a box because of that. That's where he is, you know? Right. No, he's not buying into the herd mentality. And that's, I, I do appreciate that side of him. I mean, his, his, his honesty. I mean, he's been very philosophical this week on Twitter with some of his tweets and, you know, everything around expressing yourself and what you truly believe and this and that. And I, I mean, if he truly did lose that many followers, I, I think it's because he, he's calling people out for being those those sheep that just get herded into this belief that, you know, everything they read on social media or they hear or whatever, that, you know, that's, that's the way they should think. They're not thinking for themselves. And I, I think that that's what he's trying to, to put out there. I hope that that mentality that he's spreading actually does infiltrate a lot of people's thoughts because you get so caught up in this dogma and it's the only thing that you believe in. And mm -hmm. it's kind of ridiculous because if you really step back and look like the media is used to manipulate people, that, that's what it's right. for. They're selling you ads. They're trying to manipulate you to buy products. They're trying to manipulate you to do this or think this way and do that and shove you into a box so then they can make dollars on you. Like that's what mm -hmm. they do. Um, so Kanye had a kind of interesting tweet. He said, I haven't done enough research on conservatives to call myself or be called one. I'm just refusing to be enslaved by monolithic thought. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Now that <laughs> I can get behind. So, yeah. uh, you know, you want to call people crazy. I think Kanye might be crazy because he's going against what a lot of people would consider to be normal. And that normal is in turn actually crazy. Um, you know, you're trying to pit each other, you know, pit people against each other. Like that's, there's no money to be made if everyone is, uh, you know, thinking for themselves. There's a lot of money to be made if you can pit one side against another, because you can sell a lot of things to one side, you know, 50% of the country is a lot. So if you can get half and half, you know, exactly, you make a lot of money there. So, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> he's, he's definitely, he's definitely taking the, the, I don't want to say the low road, but he's definitely taking a path of a ton of resistance. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I mean, it's interesting to see how it's all going to pan out. I mean, I, I applaud him for, for speaking his mind and being brutally honest and, and coming out. I mean, from my side personally, I've never been a huge Kanye fan just because I always thought he was a little strange or a little weird, but I mean, it's kind of starting to show here over the last couple of weeks that, you know, he, he's a, he's he's obviously a free thinker and you know he, he's calling lots of people out and doesn't appear to be afraid of doing it so 
Yeah, that's what I like. That's off to the guy. I think think he started out like a lot of people, and he just wanted to get his music out there. And then when he realized he had a platform, he started speaking, and people kind of took him the wrong way, and maybe he went about it the wrong way, especially when he did that whole, like, Taylor Swift thing, Mm -hmm. you know? So that was kind of interesting, but I think if you actually really analyze the person, he's a lot more down-to-earth than people make him look, you know, mm-hmm. through the media. So it's it's pretty cool. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I, I started to kind of really appreciate him a little bit more um, these last few weeks after kind of listening to some of these shows that the guys put on and then... Uh, starting to read some of his tweets and actually understanding what he's trying to do. Um, mm-hmm. I thought it was pretty cool. So, yeah. It'd be interesting to see how it all shakes out. I don't, Kanye's not going away. So, <laughs> I mean, he may have supposedly lost 10 million followers on Twitter, but I don't think he's losing any sleep over it. No, that's the thing. He doesn't give a shit. Yeah. 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 On the flip side of that, he was like, eh. I, He's married to a Kardashian. He's made tons of money. And I think some of his tweets this past week, too, were uh, unapproved tweets, at least by his wife, of their uh, $20 million home out in California. So he, I think that was his way of saying, fuck you. I've already made it. I can say what I want, too. <laughs> at least that's how I interpret it. Yeah, I kind of thought the same thing. It's like, you know, he finally gets to this point where he's got status in life and he doesn't really want to show it off because he's trying mm-hmm. to send another message. Which, you know, that's the one thing I really hate about, especially the left. It seems like they really like to try to chastise people who do well in life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to me, you're just jealous. You wanted to do well. You would die to be in that person's position, and you're not. And so, therefore, you say, oh, they need to pay a gazillion dollars a year in taxes and this and that mm-hmm. and blah, 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 blah. And you shouldn't, you know, you're a CEO. You shouldn't make 4,000 times what the guy who's flipping burgers makes. And it's like, well, yeah, you should because you're the guy who's setting the strategy of the company. And you're the one who's going out and buying the real estate and, you know, hiring people and doing all of these things and managing the entire business. Um you know, there's so much work being done that everyone likes to minimize what the CEO's importance is and everything, but you wouldn't have mm-hmm. a CEO if they weren't important. And right. just like I wouldn't have the burger flipper if he wasn't important because he sells my product and he helps make it and deliver it to people, right? Exactly. But there's also the degree of difficulty between the two jobs that matters. And people want to just like take these things and act like they don't matter and then boil them down to just like, oh, the CEO makes 4,000% more than the than the lowest paid worker in their company. And it's like, well, that doesn't really matter. And it's insignificant and it doesn't equate. Um, I mean, on one hand, yeah, I would like to think that if I was in that position that I would probably give a lot more money back to my employees rather than taking it for myself, because at some point you just don't need it. Um, Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, there's also, you know, capitalism in this country and you have the right to do that. And that's what's great. And, you know, the more you bitch and complain about not making enough money flipping burgers, the quicker they're going to automate that job and you're not going to have a job flipping burgers at all. So Mm -hmm. uh, you might want to stay out ahead of that and educate yourself and and make a better living for yourself. Um, But that's the problem. You know, you have these lazy people that are at the bottom and they just want handouts. They just want to hand it to me, give it to me. But the guy at the top, he worked his ass off and got there, you know, in most cases. And so, you know, that's what's frustrating about this mentality is, 
you know, people want to try and take that away from other people. And it's like, no, you should not be able to take away the hard work of that person because they kicked ass and you're too lazy to kick ass. Mm-hmm. You know, sorry, but that's just how it goes. You want to make excuses. You put up your roadblocks, you know, you do these things and you try to insulate yourself and justify why you're not that guy or girl. But the reason is because you didn't want to sacrifice what they did. Yep. And so there's a, there's a lot of middle ground there, right? Like you don't have to be a millionaire to be successful in this country. No, not at all. And that, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's the thing that I really, I really can't stand is, you know, people start bitching about this stuff and it's like, if you would just take the drive and motivation and, and funnel it into good, good things, then you will become good. Like that's how that works. And you don't have to be a CEO of a company or an entrepreneur or whatever. Like, you know, there's this like mythology out there that you have to do these things. And it's like, no, you can go and get a good solid degree and go get a good job and have a good family, uh, you know, work life balance and, and be fine. You know, not everybody wants to spend every waking moment running a business. Right. It's yeah. It all comes down to what you want to do with yourself. And I'm probably going to open up a can of worms here. But it, some of the things you were saying about, you know, the divide between that person working, flipping burgers, making minimum wage, and then that person at the top of the company. I mean, the opportunity is there for anyone that has the desire and the drive to go get it. You hear, I mean, I'm sure it's, the story's not out there enough about those people that start out flipping burgers. And they work their way up to manager. And they they have the drive to succeed with, with what they're given, you know, with at that point in time in yeah. their life. So they're not just sitting at, you know, they're not just back there flipping burgers mindlessly and they just don't give a fuck. And, but they're, they're the same people, like you said, they just, they, they want to take, 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 and they don't want to give to get it. And, you know, that, that could whole circle. They, this, this could be a whole nother discussion about, you know, people yelling about the $15 minimum wage and, this and that, but you, you can go out and you can, your earning potential is as much as you want it to be. If, if you want to do it and you have the motivation to do it, chances are you're going to get somewhere. But if you just don't give a crap, you're going to be flipping those burgers and hopefully washing your hands after you take a shit before you do, because <laughs> I don't like a nasty burger, but anyways, would you like a chocolate covered pretzel? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, you know, I think it comes down to self-discipline and self-awareness and motivation. So if you have those three things in any decent quantity, then you can be successful because you need to understand yourself. You need to understand where you want to be, and then you need to be able to get yourself there. And so there are real, definitely real situations where people cannot or have a very difficult time, you know, getting ahead or getting out. So for instance, we were privileged. We are white people. We were born in decent families in decent areas where we didn't have to worry about, you know, gang violence every day. Right. So Mm -hmm. I can understand where those things just kind of have a vicious cycle that you can't get out of. I can understand that completely because you start off in an impoverished area. You're worried about your life every day. You're not learning at school because you're worried about the dude behind you who wants to kill you. Um, Mm -hmm you know, and those kinds of things. And so there's a huge stigma there, like that these people are worthless and they don't want to do anything. And it's like, no, they just, there's a bad group there and it's just taking over. I mean, look at Mexico, like the whole, the whole country is like getting taken over by gangs. 
And so like, you know, you get in these situations where it's really hard to get yourself out of them. And if we don't help people do it, it'll never happen. And so like, those are real situations where I say, okay, like I, I can understand why you, why you didn't make it or why mm-hmm. you're having a hard time getting yourself there because you're just in a really, really shitty situation. But for the, the normal everyday Twitter complainer, you're just lazy. Yeah. You have no motivation. You're lazy. You have no direction and you don't want to work for it. Um, exactly. Or you're just completely not self-aware and you're doing the wrong things. And so you're not understanding what you need to do to set your direction. And so then you have a really hard time setting a direction, but you keep doing all these stupid things and you view them as working and you're working hard and you're trying and you're doing this stuff, but you're really doing all the wrong things. And that's kind of why. So there's that balance there. And so, you know, it's it's just interesting. It's, It's a... I, I like those people because then I can step over them on my way up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. It makes it easier. <laughs> yeah. Like if everybody was as motivated and ready to go as we are, then, you know, it'd be a lot harder, but mm-hmm. it makes it a little bit easier in a way if you're not motivated to do things. So, you know, like just starting this, this, the show, this podcast, right? Like you and I have always kind of shot the shit and I always felt like it would be a really good, uh, I've always really wanted to do a, a show or a podcast. Um, and I do it for me, you know, it, it's mm-hmm. a selfish indulgence. Right. And then I, I thought you would love to do it too. You it just seemed to, to be something that'd be up your alley. And so that's when I approached you about it. I'm like, Hey, let's do this. And you're like, yeah, let's do this. And so, you know, you had to have the time and money investment up front to do this. It wasn't super expensive, but it was, you know, it, it was a barrier to entry that most people wouldn't even cross. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, just everything you just said there, it's all about setting goals. Moral of story, kids, is set goals. If you want to do something, set a goal and and do what you need to do to achieve it. <laughs> 100%. 100%. Like this show could be completely worthless. You know, we had 20 people listen to the show. Mm-hmm. So we talked to 20 people. We spent all of our time. We spent money doing it's because it's fun for us. We enjoy it. We get up at four right. thirty in the morning on a Saturday to have a podcast. Like who the fuck does that? We're nuts, right? Like why, <laughs> why in the world would you do that? That's because exactly what I was getting ready to yeah, So it is exactly what I was getting ready to say, uh, getting up at four thirty on a Saturday morning is rough enough, but then, you know, <laughs> just to have the desire and to drive, I mean, it's something we want to do, something we enjoy doing, like you said. And, um, Last week I got the cops called on me, and I'm still back today. <laughs> I made sure I didn't hit the side button on my phone this morning, but <laughs> it's all good. Oh yeah, if, if you guys, if someone downloads this who didn't check out last week's episode, you got to <laughs> at least check out the beginning when Craig gets the, the cops coming to his house. That's always yeah. good. But yeah, it's just as simple as that, and that's what I wish people would understand a little bit more. In a way, you know, it's like. Do what you want to do. And that's kind of what Kanye was saying. Do what you want to do that you view as art. I view this as an art form, talking to people, having a level head, trying to get direction to people, like um, giving your take and your analysis on things and trying to not be biased by all the other external shit that's going on. Like those are all things that I feel like are lost in this world right now. And I think that you Mm -hmm. and I are starting on a medium podcasting that is it's growing and hopefully that you and I can take up this, this medium and start rolling it out there and, and get our names out there and get people listening to the show and, and enjoying it because I have a lot of fun doing this. And, um, you know, like I wake up excited at four thirty in the morning, mm-hmm. you know, and I get up during the week and work out at four thirty in the morning. So I'm used to it. But when I, I, I'm doing it on a Saturday 
you know, like I'm losing sleep on another day of the week, but I have fun. I have a really good time with you on here doing this thing. I think it's great. Yeah, I, I do as well. Um, I'm not going to say I'm excited to wake up at four 30, but I'm excited to, to, you know, go through the week and, you know, we're, we're obviously going out there and we're hitting, you know, current events and, and looking for headlines and stuff. And, you know, it's stuff that, to the average everyday person, yeah, they might see it on social media, but I mean, we're taking that little bit of extra effort to kind of prepare ourselves for this early on a Saturday morning. And, you know, it, like I said, it all goes back to if it's something you like to do, you set a goal to achieve it and, you know, see it through. It yeah. could be, I mean, you can't get down if it doesn't, if it doesn't work out. I mean, I don't think our intention is our intention is just to have a good time doing this, something that we enjoy doing. And, um, you know, I'm happy 20 listeners tuned in last week to our, uh, four a.m. escapades on a Saturday. So. Oh man, I was ecstatic because, <laughs> you know, like I couldn't believe it. I was like 20 people listen. This is awesome. You know, it, it's nobody. It's probably all people we know <laughs> that we said, Hey, I got this podcast. Check it out. <laughs> you know? And yeah. so I, I just hope that it organically grows over time, but I have fun doing it. I enjoy getting up. I already am going to read the news anyway, and I have opinions on it and I work from home and I sit on my ass and don't talk to anyone all week except for my wife and she's sick of my opinions. So, mm-hmm. you know, like it's, it's a good outlet, you know, and I, I said it on our intro show, you know, you and I are both introverts, so we don't really, you know, run our mouths too much. And so it's fun to do it into a microphone and, I don't know. I, I just have a really good time doing it. Yeah. But again, like you said, set your goals and do them. And it, it, we're not doing this because we think it's going to be this massive success, you know, or anything like that. We do it because it's fun and we hope that it is successful so that, you know, more people can enjoy it and that we do it for that. But, you know, it's not the original intent behind it. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's just a benefit of doing it. I mean, that's the ultimate goal for anything you do. I mean, if you take the time to do something you enjoy, I think that that the ultimate goal of doing what you want to do in life is doing something that you enjoy. I mean, we enjoy working in the tech industry. Yeah, it's it's a nine to five job Monday to Friday for the most part. But, you know, we're good at it. We do it. But when you get, when you truly can do something that you enjoy and especially when you can make a living of it. I mean, you hear musicians and artists and different people say that all the time or or professional athletes. They love doing what they do. So, I mean, that's the ultimate goal in life. I think for everybody is to, to do what you love to do and yeah, find something that you're passionate about and, and fill that void in your life with it. Whether or not it's something that you actually make a career out of is, is one thing, but just doing it for fun is another, you know, like, I enjoy playing music, so I'll play guitar once in a while. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'm not great at it. I just like to do it. It's relaxing to me. You know, I'm not going to go out there and start shredding and, you know, be the next Eddie Van Halen or something, but I, I enjoy doing it. Um, you know, it's, it's just a, it's a nice, relaxing way to pass some time and, and blow some steam off. Yeah, for sure. And I think we need to switch gears here a little bit. And as far as enjoying what you do, do you, we got to get back to the sports thing. Do you think LeBron was enjoying playing basketball last night. <sighs> oh my god, dude! Oh say it! The fucking Cavs, man! <laughs> the fucking Cavs! Like they can't, they just can't 
they can't make it easy. I was telling my wife last time, I wish they would just win by like 30 points. Instead, they lost by like 30 points, you know, because it's just like so frustrating to watch. I don't know, because now it's game seven and now they could get eliminated. And it's very real that they could just come out and lay another turd. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Um, it's game seven. Is it in, in Indianapolis? I haven't even looked far enough ahead. I was so no, it's in Cleveland. Just, it's in Cleveland. Okay, yeah. well, there's a fighting hope there. Yeah, but I don't know. So it just frustrates me. Like, you'll watch them play, and I don't know why, but you, like, just know the day they're going to lose. You just know. Like, you know it in the second quarter that they're just done for today. Like, last night, I watched a lot of the game, and they just start throwing the ball in the stands and making really bad passes. No one knows where they're supposed to be. And LeBron starts doing like these crazy behind the back passes to, to nobody. And then the Pacers pick it up and go slam dunk it for two easy points. And it's just so yeah. frustrating to watch. You know, like I'm not a huge basketball expert or fan or anything like that. I'm very fair weather and I'm enjoying LeBron while he's here. But um, it's just so frustrating. You know, like you, LeBron, don't leave. I have the fucking Browns I have to deal with after this. I need you here. Exactly. <laughs> I would say the same thing. I mean, it's not that I'm a Browns fan or anything, but you know, the the only thing that I would have to look forward to would be the the tribe after that. So, yeah, I mean, I love watching watching the tribe, but it's a long, long way to the playoffs. And last yep. year they worked their asses off, won 22 games in a row, and then they get there and get beat in the first round. And it's like, fuck, I gotta wait again. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, here we are. We got another 5 months till October. <laughs> and uh, you know, hopefully the hopefully the tribe's still standing at the end of it, but and, and hopefully uh, across across the street there the uh the Cavs are are playing with LeBron. Yeah, I hope so too. I mean, I I don't I don't foresee like you said earlier. I I, I see a few wins for the Browns this season. Um I hope the narrative's different. I mean, it, it, it seems like the same crap every year, jumping up and down. Hey, number one draft pick, we're going to the Super Bowl. Yippee. <laughs> yeah. But, well, I mean, as you see, the Browns are really good at putting on a show at the draft. We do it every year, and then you actually have to play football. Yeah. So we'll draft the crazy, crazy dude, and everyone's like, wow, look at what they did. And then the rest of the NFL's laughing. Yeah, look what they did. They still suck. Yeah. I think, I mean, this this may be a selfish, selfish opinion or whatever. But my, in my opinion, LeBron will be back. I don't think he's going to stir up the stuff again. But I mean, I can't imagine the narrative if they get eliminated in Game Seven in the first round, and he does leave. I mean, it just yeah. I would love for him to double down, and I would love for it to have been, um, you know, they realized when Kyrie decided that he was leaving, and they wanted to trade him. And then they traded uh, Isaiah Thomas away later on um, mm-hmm. and got a little bit younger. Uh, hopefully, maybe that was part of the plan and that they're trying to bring in some free agents next season. I don't really know what their salary cap situation is like right now. Uh, but, yeah, I don't know either. But Kevin Love just like has disappeared. And I'm not a Kevin Love hater. I love, I love me some love. But... Mm-hmm. He's just disappeared, and I know he got hurt. Like his hand is hurt, so maybe that's part of it. But he's literally just a non-factor. LeBron needs him. Like he, he cannot be a non-factor. If he's a non-factor, we're going nowhere. Yeah, I think somebody said it best the other, just after the game before this 
won last night is LeBron scores 40 and we barely got a win. It's just like everybody else needs to step up. Yeah, it's I think if, frustrating. I think if any – yeah, it is. I think if anybody leaves Cleveland, and I could be completely wrong, but if we lose game seven and we get eliminated in the first round, I don't think we'll see Ty Lue next season. Yeah, I'm not a huge Ty Lue fan. Um, you know, it just seems like under his direction we've been just barely making it, and he was mm-hmm. riding the wave of LeBron and Kyrie. And then right. um, and now he's just riding the LeBron wave, which, I mean – Let's be real. Most coaches do, you know, whoever has Mm -hmm. LeBron on their team is just riding that wave. And LeBron probably has a a ton of input on what's going to happen and how it's going to work. And the coach probably listens to it, which I would too. But, Mm -hmm. you know, um, it's just, it's frustrating because you're watching the greatest player in history. I will say that I I believe he's better than Michael Jordan at this point. Um, Mm -hmm. you're watching him waste a a season at the back end of his career where he's just been phenomenal and it's not going to last forever and he may not even stay here. And so, Mm -hmm. I don't know. The one thing I hate about it is I wish he would be all in or all out, like commit or don't, because if you commit, that means we get more free agents looking at us seriously, um, to come over here and build a team. And, and I don't know, you know, he may decide that he wants to finish here and build his team here and, and just wanted to, to evaluate. And I know he wants to hold Dan Gilbert hostage a little bit because LeBron likes to have the power. So that's what he does. Right. But at the same time, you kind of shoot yourself in the foot, LeBron, from a basketball standpoint, because, you know, the other free agents who are, who would come here and come play with you may not because you won't stay. And they saw what you did to everybody last time when you left, you just left everyone yeah. hanging and took off. And it's like, okay, I mean, I understand that you want to have your, your power and everything and you want to be able to control your future. And that's great. I love that. But at the same time, you don't necessarily have to be so guarded about it. Right. Don't, don't, don't put off good opportunities, pick up some of those free agents for sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah, by I not, mean, you by not committing to a long-term, yeah. No, by not committing to a long-term contract, you're, you're not showing much loyalty. Not even, not even that. You don't even have to commit to a long-term contract. You just need to say, I'm committed. Like, it doesn't have to be on paper. You can say, like, yeah, I'm, I keep my options open, but I'm leaning towards Cleveland, you know, for the next season or something like that. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't have to necessarily lock in, like, a five-year deal or anything like that. He could say, you know, yeah, I'm planning to return here next year. You know, that's my plan right now is to stay here unless something major happens and I get, you know, just pissed off and want to leave. Sure. So, you know, I would like to see him stay and I just wish he would announce it so that, so that we can go out and our front office can execute. Cause I feel like our front office has done a really great job the last several seasons of turning sh- a shit sandwich into gold, you know, mm-hmm. bringing back the right players that can compliment LeBron. Now in this case, we haven't done that, but we just might be another superstar away from that. You know, maybe the guys that you have on the roster now are sufficient. You just need that one more superstar, you know, that Kyrie kind of player, um, you know, to step up or someone between Kyrie and Kevin Love, you know, of that caliber to come over here and then boom, you're right back in it. Yep. I agree. Yeah, I don't I don't know how much long how much longer Kevin Love will be around either. I mean it's gonna be an interesting off season. Yeah, I mean I, I like Kevin Love a lot, but he's expensive, so I wouldn't mind them getting rid of him in the off season because he just I mean he, he is really good. Um but at the same time, he's not proving – I feel like in every playoff we've had, he hasn't proved to be able to to take over a game. 
mm-hmm. during this consistently um, to help LeBron. Kyrie did. You know, Kyrie would take over a game. Um, so I find it interesting. Um, you know, I would explore some options on K-Love and see if we could get something back. Well, we definitely should be able to, but it's... I don't, I don't... I don't think he's ever fully acclimated himself into the role in Cleveland. I mean, yeah, he was instrumental in the championship, but it's it's such a love hate relationship with him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> from a fan base. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, he's like I said, he's a great player. I have nothing against him. I would love him to be here, but he just for some reason in the playoffs he seems to just disappear for a whole series at a time. Like he, I think last year he had like one or two decent series, and then all of a sudden he doesn't. Yeah, he has like two points, and he basically or has like two or three shots an entire half. That's just insane. Yep. Well, that's it for this week. If you would, please subscribe, rate us on iTunes, hit us up on Twitter at Podwhackers. Let us know what you think of the show. All right, guys, see you next week.